We welcome you all. We are very grateful to be here together. And uh, we are continuing on the subject of understanding covenant. In particular today, I want to share with you about reconnecting to the generational covenant. I'll do a little bit of a recap on what we studied this week. And we said that with every family lineage, there is a grace that is imparted by God to each family lineage. This grace gets passed down the family lineage and it becomes the signature mark of the family bloodline. So meaning every family has got a signature mark. Now, many of you, you know, you go to restaurants and some of the restaurants we go to, if you go there, they give you a menu and on the side they will have a section where they say signature meals. And these signature meals are meals that are uh, exclusive to this restaurant and they are good at those meals. If you order that meal in that restaurant, you'll never get that meal anywhere else but in that restaurant because they're good at it. In your family lineage, there are signature marks, certain giftings, callings, anointings, divine abilities that are exclusive for your family. Oftentimes, it's not just in the one area. It could be several areas. You've got people in family lines where it's just artists in that family. And the arts being broad as it is, you people who may be in fine arts, you have people who may be musicians, those bailing in the acting realm. And, and it's not just the one thing, it is more than one thing. And what's important for us is to understand those giftings, those signature marks. Now, not everybody in the family will be wired that way, all right? However, there are certain dominant features. I mean, I mean it's almost like the way we look uh, as Banabamutu, you know, in every family, there are certain features that are dominant. Could be maybe it's a, or, or, you know, or, or their forehead. Sometimes it's mannerisms uh, where family behave and act in certain ways. But there's these dominant features. In other words, when you look at this person, there are things that stand out. In your family lineage, there are things that stand out. Now, oftentimes these things drown out as I said last week, because people are not aware of this. We are not really aware that with every lineage and every family line, God releases his grace. For that reason, Satan will often try to infiltrate the family bloodline and interrupt the grace of that family lineage. And how he does it is by capitalizing on the misdemeanors of those who become the weak link in the family lineage. So there'll be somebody in the family who doesn't, they don't do things as they should do, you know, and, and, and they get off course, and so you find that the direction of that family lineage gets interrupted through that family, that person. However, the good thing about the way God works is that whatever God injects in a lineage will never die. It may be disrupted, it may be delayed, but it will never die. 
it becomes the signature of that, 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 that family. As a matter of fact, I forgot to quote to them in the first service this verse in the book of Romans. The book of Romans says, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Right? So in other words, with the gifts and the callings of God, when he gives gifts and when he gives callings, he doesn't recall it. He doesn't take it back. Right? You know, there, there are people who went into ministry and, 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 and somewhere down the line they did something that was wrong. They went into sin. They did stuff. And then later on they repented. And then, you know, now they are okay. And they wonder if they should go back into ministry. And, and I remember the one story I heard of this man who, you know, he had really done what was wrong, went away, excuse me, came back into ministry, I'm rather came back to living right. But for many years, he just worked a secular job. But he just could not run away from the fact that he wanted to pastor a church. And he didn't know, so he went for counseling to another pastor and, and, and said, look, this is what I'm feeling. And this pastor said, look, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Amen. See, when God marks you with something, it's permanent. Amen. Are you understanding me? When God's called you into the ministry, for instance, it's permanent. It's permanent. Uh, even if you may have a false uh, start or you may be detoured or you may be detracted, God doesn't recall or take back the calling. Right? God doesn't delete it. it. It can be you who puts yourself in a situation where things don't work out. All right? So the only one who can stop it is you. And of course, if you allow Satan in your life. Amen. Only you. But when God calls you, he, that call is permanent. He doesn't recall it. Are you there, Bazalana? So in your family lineage, there are certain distinctive features, signature marks, giftings and callings, anointings and mantles that really belong to your family lineage. And, and because they've come by the grace of God, it seems that you are good at them, even without trying hard. Because it is just the way God has hardwired you. You are inclined that way. You, you are, you know, when you, when you have families of people, Babinang, you know, even the kids there. Yeah, you listen to your four-year-old, they sing so well. And they can hold the note. And they're good. So even taking them to music school, go ahead, fail. Sometimes fail to bring other disciplines and other areas of knowledge. But they can hold the note. They can sing. You know, uh, we were actually, uh, I was surprised. It was my first time to hear this. When we were with Kong He in Singapore, he was telling us that, uh, you know, his wife uh, is, is, is being treated and so on. And she has to go through surgery and so on for the the hips, and I don't know if she's doing hip replacement, something like that. Because the wife it was involved in arts. Her name is Sun. She was a, a pop, uh, 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 she was involved in pop culture. She used to sing uh, pop music, not dirty music, neutral music, but she was also a gospel singer, and very involved as a dancer, and uh, you know, she was very good in the arts. She's just inclined that way, Sun. And, uh, and now, years later, they have to do an op on her. And, and he said that's because she really, her bodily features were really not inclined to dancers. I didn't know that people who dance well is because they are, they are hip, they, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are hip bone and their joints are much more looser 
there are more losers. So I go to Ostefi, but we are not. I It's actually medically true. You know, there are people who have a referral, but dance. Hey, we're not trying to say it's a hard dance. But even their bodily features are inclined towards. There are people by Lord. They see somebody act like a new dance style and they just do it. But when you have to go to the studio and pay a lot of money, and even after all those rents, you are still sub substandard. So I'm just saying, Bazalana, we need to understand those things, you know, and, and, and move along those lines because in the area of your grace, now I want to say it again, not everybody in that family will go that line. But you'll find it's a distinctive feature. There's families that have people who are academics. They study, whatever, but they are far. And, and, and each and every calling in Ali in Totayon, I was selling them in the first service. Now, please, if you're a professor here, please, I'm not saying it's you, but if you look in the world of professors, professors live in their old world, own world. Have you ever seen the professors now? The professor, you know, they, they, they like a bow tie uh, <laughs> uh, and a baiki. So they have this honor bike and a bow tie and they speak funny and they have this funny hat and they're in their own world. And they're just in their own world. And we need them. Because they help us to think about things on a certain level. Now, but you don't want to take a professor and make them to be somebody who works at the reception because they're very antisocial. Generally speaking. But there's families. Families that are blessed with money. They're rich families. Now, we, you know, God supplies our needs, but there's people who are loaded. Yeah, they're loaded. They're now all of us are all right. And it's a grace. Somehow, when they go to a conference, they connect with people. They're able to synergize with people. They can sign a deal with a guy who was sitting next to you the whole conference. And this person was sitting next to you. I don't know why I'm looking at you, lady, but you're sitting next to you. And you never got anything. But the brother got something. You know, so it's a grace. Somebody say it's a grace. Yes. Say it again. Yes. Say it again. Yes. Say it again. Yes. Tell your neighbor your family has a grace. Yes. We see this great example in the family lineage of David. That God established that this lineage would be a lineage of kings that would sit on the throne and rule Israel. In fact, when prophet Nathan came and spoke to David by the inspiration of God. This is what he says in 2 Samuel 7, verse 8, and then we'll go down to verse 13. God speaks to Nathan and says, Now tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty said, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people. So it means even when David was just being a shepherd, he was in training to be a king. Because God can use any path you go through in life to train you for what he has purposed for your life. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? And, and never despise that training. Sometimes the training might not even be in line with what you're going to be involved in. I learned to be a pastor packing boxes and books in the wholesale department at Rhema. Don't ask me how I learned. But that work, whatever, I learned to be a pastor, I learned to run a church there. Because I had to do a lot of administration. I also was uh, interfacing with a lot of churches 
where we used to supply them with books from Harrison House. And you know, sometimes, you know, and then, I mean, I was still fairly new in this, you, you, you kind of have the, the assumption that all Christians are nice people. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? How many of you are sitting next to somebody who didn't say any amen or anything? Yeah. You, you make the assumption that all Christians are nice people. And I tell you, I used to have such problems. I mean, they would, I mean, in Obazalana, to, to pack those, to be able to send those boxes, we used to post it when the post office was working. To be able to send these boxes, got post office, was a problem because you have to first of all package them and wrap them properly, right? And package it such that the box, when it's thrown around, it doesn't break. So there's a way of doing that. And it takes a long time. And if you're a meticulous person who, who gives attention to detail, it takes a long time. Some of these people, they wouldn't put in an order for a, their books, their consignment of books. They would wait until 3.30 in the afternoon on Friday. When I'm supposed to knock off at 4. And they are thinking about their bookshop because they need these books. And they would, they would say, Kanapele, we used to do them. It was not fast mail, but there was a way where you, in every song, Express, yeah. So I have to post them express. Mara, the order comes in at 3.30. It wasn't just one bookshop, several bookshops. So many times I had to work overtime, you know, and if they didn't get their order, they would phone my boss and complain. They were not nice at all. These are born again people. I couldn't believe that born again people could behave like that. So I had to learn. I had to come up with ways. I had to tell my boss, no, from now on was even order Hayata before this time. I'm not, I had to just sort out. I had to do administration and administrate my boss too. <laughs> so, you know, but it was so interesting when I became a pastor that having worked with boxes, I had learned so much. So don't ever despise your training. Even if it's in an unrelated discipline. So God takes David, trains him as a shepherd. And he says to him, when you were training as a shepherd, I had a king in mind. Oh yeah. Know what he says here. Verse 13. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish his kingdom forever. And I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul. Wow. Whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom, note, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. So this is a double barrel prophecy. Right? The one line on the natural line is that your lineage will become a lineage of kings. I'm injecting in this family bloodline people who will rule. However, there's another side to it that your kingship or your lineage and being a king is a prefiguring of the king, Jesus Christ, whose kingdom will be forever. So it's, it's, it's a double barrel thing. So God brings David in to be a king as we see this. Know this, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. So Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. So what happened? David becomes a king. He walks in the ways of the Lord. After him, it was Solomon. After him, it was Rehoboam. 
After him, it was Abijah. After Abijah, it was Asaph. After Asaph, it was Jehoshaphat. After him, Joram. Then Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. And then to the scripture that we read the other day in the book of Chronicles chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, we read about Manasseh, after Manasseh, Amnon, and Josiah. And with regards to Josiah, the Bible says Josiah, being the 14th generation from David, right? He comes into leadership as a king. Unfortunately, his dad, Josiah, was not exemplary. Uh, his dad, rather, Amnon, was not exemplary. He lived in a wrong way. He became the weak link. He didn't follow God. But even worse, his grandfather, Manasseh, didn't follow God either. So this young man comes in, in a family lineage of kings. He has no reference point immediately of anybody he can learn from. And yet, God doesn't in any way overlook the fact that he has injected that seed in the lineage. And Josiah becomes wise enough to say, I can see my forebears, they went off course, some of them. I can see what God did in my family lineage get corrupted. Let me find a way to reconnect with what God has placed in my family lineage. I heard about David. I knew about David. Even if I don't know him, I haven't seen him. Can I connect to the spirit of David? Because in every family lineage, there's somebody in your family line, Bazalana. No right. They may not be fully born again, they may not even be church going. But they are a people who are they live properly, but pillar hunting. They are nice people in your lineage. And David says, I'm going to connect with David. I'm going to connect to him because in him there was this promise and he tried to fulfill what God had called him. But all these other people, these other generations went off course. And so a very amazing scripture that we read here. Let's read it together. It says, let me go back here. It says, oh, what does it say? In 2 Chronicles 34, 2, it says, And Josiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. So he reaches back 14 generations to reconnect to the grace that God had put in his family line. Why? He understands the grace might get corrupted, the grace might get detoured, but the grace cannot be deleted. Yeah. And I have a suspicion that for some of you, this is where God has placed you in your family lineage. Somehow God wants you to be the Josiah in the family. How many of you are sitting next to Josiah who is not saying amen now? just like the generation of Joshua that God raised to be able to enter the promised land which the generation before could not do. 
It was their portion, their calling, their grace to enter the land, but because of their disobedience, they didn't. So sometimes God raises a generation of people who turn things around. You know, yesterday I was at the funeral of Bishop Malele, and you know, one of the things that really stood out for me, it really blessed me, and I actually wrote it down. It's confirming what I'm teaching so much, you know, what we're teaching from the Bible so much. He worked as a teacher way in Kabul 73, in the early 70s. And there's a, a, one of the former students who now is a grown-up man, very educated, a man of great achievements, highly educated, who was inspired by teacher Malele when he was still a school teacher. Because he said this young man, I used to be in primary school where this man was teaching. I was in I was in standard four, grade six, right? Nigelu was standard four, and I knew when I pass Hakeyako grade seven, he would become my class teacher. So I would be exposed to this man. And he says, the thing that attracted me to him is that the first time I heard about him, people were saying, that man, when he prays, God listens. He says, he says, I was 12 years old. You know, that so encouraged me. He said, I was 12 years old when I heard that, but it made a mark in me. And I came from a dysfunctional family. Things were not all right, but when I heard about this man, I said, I want to meet this man. If possible, I want to come in his class and I want him to be my mentor. When he passed and went into the next class, go grade seven, Mfundisimalele went to university. Yeah. But God being God, years later, they met at the university. Yeah. And this man actually has, has written, he has a thick thesis like this. In, into, he talks about many things, but he has a, a whole chapter where he talks about Bishop Malele and how he influenced his life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the man is a man of stature. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of a guy. Hey. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, here's this young man. Here he is. He's from a family that gave him no hope. But you can connect to somebody. Some of you, this, the environment here, be, just being here, it, it is God's way. You go vusa this thing. Because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Yeah, and you are the one who's a Josiah. That's why, go away. You are not accepting the status quo of your family. Yeah, something in you makes you uncomfortable. Like I was saying last week, and because you're uncomfortable and you're behaving differently, but it was ends up better. Now we get it better and gonna go high. It's because you're trying to reconnect with the lineage. And so we see in the time of Joshua that God can raise a generation. The late Bishop Malele, he was at uh, Teflo, University of the North. In the same time as Bo Cyril Ramaphosa, our current president, Laibon Mabasa, Kenneth Mishwe, Lydia Mishwe, and I didn't even know, Mosinta, 
And he was also, he was, yeah, he also became one of the presidents because Cyril Ramaphosa was also the president. And as they quoted the names, I realized at that time in that university, God was raising a group of young people. Yeah, it was just a season. But I'm telling you, exactly what I'm seeing in our church now. In the hunger I see in our 30-year-olds, our 20-year-olds, our teenagers, in the way they hunger for God, they are attracted to God. I'm, I'm telling you, it might not happen in my lifetime. It's fine. But I'm telling you, you watch what is going to be coming in the next 50 years or so. Yeah. Some of it we will see it. 10 years, 20 years. There will be a group of these young people everywhere in society whose initiation is now and God is putting a mark on them as they come for prayer, as they come to, to word explosion, as they come to Bible study, as they go to their cell group, as we pray for them, as we worship, as we preach about generations. Unkulunkulu is doing something in their hearts and is depositing something in their hearts. Hey, what is going on, Basalana? God is at work! At work. And I was struck by it. And then I went back, and I, uh, you've heard me talk about Go Youth Alive. Our group, Go Youth Alive, we were just a group of young people. We came from different churches. Most of us were from mainline churches. That's Reformed, Church of England. Fura. And God was just... Picking up people, and coincidentally, Malele, uh, uh, that, he comes from the United Reformed Church too. I never knew. So I was telling, you know, God, God, how do I say it? It's almost like what, 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 what Peter said. He said, in every nation, first of all, he starts by saying, God is no respecter of person. But in every nation, and I'm paraphrasing, he gravitates towards people whose hearts are hungering after him. So God doesn't care which church you are in. God doesn't care which country you are in. God doesn't care how old you are. God doesn't care about anything. All he is looking at, he is looking at hungry hearts. And when your heart is hungry for him, when your heart is thirsty for him, God will meet you at the point of your need. And God will give to you to the same proportion of your hunger. If you are very thirsty, he will pour out a lot. If you are not thirsty, he will give you just enough. But God, and I, and I was looking, I said, look at all these leaders. They're in different places of leadership. The high-powered leaders. God was, was raising a generation. Like I said, sometimes even when God raises up, we, we get detoured. Yeah, but God can raise a generation like he raised the Joshua generation, which would be the generation that would get into the promised land. They would, they would do what their predecessors couldn't do. But in order for them to do that, Mamelang, they had to, to make sure they don't get trapped by what trapped their predecessors. Because every one of us were going to have to fight the demons of the previous generation. Yeah. In your family, you're going to have to fight the demons of your family. Yeah. 
what brought them down, what destroyed them, you're going to have to stand up against it in Jesus' name. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be delivered to you on a silver platter. But let me tell you something. It is doable because all things are possible with God. It's doable. You have to put up a fight. You have to be resolute. You have to be single-minded. You have to be willing to be ostracized, misunderstood, talked about, criticized. You have to be willing for them to walk away from you, to be called all kinds of names. You have to be willing for all of that. Mara, you see, you have no time, Wena, to feel sorry for yourself because you understand what I'm doing is not only going to change me, it's going to change my generation and bring my family life. Can I hear a shout? Hallelujah. That. So the Joshua generation comes up and God says, I want you to pick up 12 stones. And these stones that are 12 that we read about, they signify specific biblical truths or covenants that we need to commit to or biblical truths that may have been overlooked by the previous generation, lay dormant, they were always there. Anytime God's going to do anything great in your life, there will always be T's and C's. Even if it is God's predestination to use you, he doesn't just use you in jail. You have to put yourself in an environment that is an enabling environment. That's why most people miss it. See, because they say, God said this to me. So, 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 you know, God called them into the ministry, but they don't pray. They don't fast. They don't read the Bible. They don't attend church. They don't connect with other leaders. How is God going to? So the same thing in your family lineage. Even if you know what God wants to do, there are certain commitments there are certain things you start you must start working on and holding on to and practicing. We called it last week the Nazarite vow. So God tells the Joshua generation 12 stones which represent 12 truths. And I want to start with the first one of them. You are blessed enough, Luna, to cover a bit. The first service I couldn't even cover it. The first stone is the stone of humility and simplicity. That's where we ended last week. Watch this, Bazarana. The Bible places high value on humility and childlikeness. If God is going to fulfill anything in your life, you're going to have to walk in humility. God saves, sustains, and gives grace to humble people. Naturally, as human beings, we are not wired to be humble. And just in case you misunderstand what humility is. Humility is not being soft-spoken. Humility is not inability to maintain eye contact when somebody is talking to you. Oshalaza. Humility is, a, is, a, is an attitude of your heart. Humility, it's, it's, it's a disposition of your character has to do you your reaction to things. And I'm going to show you humility. Proverbs 18.27 says, you save the humble, 
If God's going to save you, he's going to demand humility from you. Humility, one of the definitions is doing what God says, even if you think otherwise. There are people who will not obey God no matter what God says. Their opinion is a God to them. Yeah. So God saves humble people, but he brings low those whose eyes are haughty. Psalms 147 verse 6 says, The Lord sustains the humble. When you're humble, God will sustain you. There are people when God starts doing things in their lives or they start achieving some progress of some sort, they become big-headed. And they start speaking in a condescending manner to people who are not at their level. It's a challenge. Sometimes it's hard for us to to maintain success because when we become successful, then we think everybody else is a fool. You know? And when we talk to them, we are so condescending. Like if you want to succeed in Fanam, Shalala Gimla. And we become judgmental. But it's this, it can be the same thing spiritually. When you become spiritually strong and powerful, you can be so condescending on other people. Same thing when you can be educated and be condescending on people who are not educated. You can be rich and condescending to people who are not rich. Yeah. And what really eats me up as a leader is to see our own black people. We who come from oppression, where we were forced by the system, made to be third grade citizens. And we understand what it feels like when people speak to us in demeaning undertones. When we become the ones now who are doing that. It eats me up. Really eats me up. When I see us big headed because of the things we have, things we've done. And the Bible says God sustains the humble. In other words, the bit that you have right now is not all that God wants to do through you. But because you're big-headed, God can do more. Yeah. And that's why sometimes God delays some of our success. Because some of us, if God was to make us a millionaire, I'll pay you anything, all of these shops, I'll pay anything. So sometimes God delays how far he wants to take us. Because we are susceptible to doing things that will destroy us. Because always pride goes before a fall. And a haughty spirit before destruction. Yeah. Before you fall, you become big headed. And it's pride. Yeah. Psalms 147, verse 6 says, The Lord sustains the humble, cuts down the wicked. Proverbs 3:34, He mocks the proud, but Greek gives grace to the humble. 
When Peter quotes it, he says, God resists the proud. If you are going to walk in pride, God will resist us. You don't want to be resisted by God. God blocking you. God just, anything you do, what block? What block? What block? And you can't understand because rightfully things should be working. You are earning enough money, you have enough education, you have enough connections. Everything we answer should it should work. And you are binding and praying, Mara, nothing is getting bound. That's because it can't be bound. It's God who's stopping you. He resists the proud. Yeah. Resists the proud. Once we become proud, we put ourselves on a collision course with God. Oh yeah. That's what happened to Saul, who was the king of Israel. You know, when he started, Saul was a guy. I mean, God loved him. You, you hear what God said about Saul. Loved him. Stood head and shoulders above everybody. The minute he started leading, and the minute he became powerful, all of a sudden, he was pushing around the priests. I mean, one time, the, 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 the priest tells him, wait for me. The, the, the prophet tells him, wait for me. We're going to, the priest tells him, wait for me. We're going to offer a sacrifice. Saul gets there. The man of God hasn't arrived. And Saul thinks, who does this guy think I am? I have no time to waste. Yeah, there's people who don't have the patience to wait for men of God. You know, they've become very important. And yet, Billy, you would wait for them to be prayed for. But now that only whatever you got. So, you know, I was in one place some time ago where I was so angry, Bazalwan. I was so angry because... I know this leader, I know this church, I know when they started, and I know how they struggled, and I know how this man led this church so well. And you know, when you're struggling, and so on, usually when we start, it's not high capacity people who visit. Do you understand what I mean? Because who get dusty? Dusty? No, I'm not there. Costume, so he started and he finally he built this church beautiful church and then people started coming which is good but there's not a problem the one thing where I lost it is when I became aware that the very people who came because he was trying to embrace them and so on now they started telling him no Murut, many of us we are high, high capacity people we are busy on a Sunday Okay, we have life. Yeah, and our life is not about church. Look, your services are too long. Yeah, you must just preach for 30 minutes. And say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, but the problem was because these people were already in leadership and Basapota Kereke. You know, I wish you knew, but I don't know how tough it is for us, Baruti. Sometimes it's hard. Because you have people who are really helpful, Balitusa, and so on. But if sometimes the, those people start thinking that they know more than you, you know, they, 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 they get deceived in thinking, you know, so they must instruct you. They said you must modernize, you must contextualize. You know, they throw these words at you. The average attention span of people, it has been proven by Harvard University. <laughs> that it is 12 minutes. <laughs> and Shem, the poor Muruti, 
Listen, and, and, and I think what got me was that one of these people was transporting me. And in the process as they're driving me, out of excitement, he's saying, we've changed everything in our church. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening, I'm curious. So now we told our pastor, we told our pastor, you can't be in church the whole day. Hey. Yeah. You must, you must only preach for only 25 minutes or whatever. And, 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 and so on. And I'm boiling because, you know, because, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have those conversations with church members. You understand? I'm invited by his pastor. This guy is not my friend. Okay? He's not my friend. I don't, I don't care what he has. He's not my friend. Okay, I'm here because of his pastor. So I didn't answer him. I just kept quiet. But by the time I got to church, I was fuming. <laughs> so when I got there, the prison, the, I, I knew this church. I'd walked in with this church for years. They were vibrant. I mean, that's the way we were worshiping. See how it's happening in church? We're worshiping carefree, worshiping. You know, we raise our hands, we go around. I got to this church. Hey, people were not even singing. Yeah. Praise, praise and worship, five minutes. People were not even praying in tongues anymore. I'm, st- I'm steaming. And I'm sitting there. So I say, I say come Ruti. Ruti, how long do I have to preach? He says, 25 minutes. And I'm thinking, get your whole soul. I normally, I usually will never disobey a pastor. But I, I soon caught it in the spirit. He was in a fix. And one of those unusual times where God anointed me with a radical anointing. I'm, I'm, I'm usually very nice, but not that day. And I knew that in me saying things from the front, it would release him and free him. And it would deal with those people. I wasn't preaching to them. I was talking about the principle and I got up. And did I preach? You think I preached long? <laughs> And I talked about these things left, right, and center. And then I said, let's pray in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and we prayed for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And at the point as we prayed, something broke. In the spirit, something. People all of a sudden became free and we started singing and people started running around and so on. After the service, I, I, I spoke to him privately. I said, in forward to you must never, never. These people were not even there. They were not there. One of them said, we made this church. She says, pride. You make a church, it's Jesus who builds the church. Not you. Not you. You are being big-headed. Who, who did you make? Now, God does use us. We are grateful for what people do. Even with us, Barcelona, I didn't build the church. Jesus built the church. We did what we could. But it is His grace. Come on now. Maybe you don't realize it is His grace. Ah, we thank God for His grace. Hallelujah. 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 Thank God for his grace. It's a grace to have a whole week your prayer and people come at five in the morning. 
It's a grace to have prayer in the afternoon. People come, it's a grace. And they come in their hundreds and in their thousands. It's a grace. Somebody shout, it's a grace. Mustn't be big-headed. God resists the proud. And we have to talk to our people, Bazalana, not to fall into that trap. That they become impossible people. That some of our people, black people, are just impossible people. They're just impossible people. You know. And we see it when we go around places, but what and push their weight around. And everybody must bow to them like they're a God. Soga. It's only one God we have here. It's Jehovah God. Amen. Let me close, Bazalana, because we need to welcome people and all of that. Finally, the disciples of Christ came to him and asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And I don't know why. I don't know why as people really saw. Here I get the disciples of Christ. But I not about who is the greatest. I mean, why must we compare who's better than... Why? 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 But you see, as human beings, we, we are prone to being sinful. You understand what I mean, Bazaar? We, we are inclined towards certain tendencies. That's why we have to apply ourselves to humility. Yeah, because we, we all are susceptible to pride. Yeah, yeah. When I was at Bible school in 1980, <laughs> one of our fellow colleagues came to my room and said, God sent me here to come and tell you you are proud. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I sat down and said, okay, my brother, pray for me. I mean, I'm human. Yeah, I mean, this is a slippery thing. Maybe, you know, you know what I mean? Pray for me. God, but you know, I could see this guy how to fell a mobile to a lapel. You know, some people, you know, but anyhow, just just one. But we're all susceptible. Yeah. And God needs to help us. So they come to Christ say, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a little child. So next time when we meet Barcelona, I'm going to talk to you in what ways do children demonstrate humility? And if we can embrace the attitude of children when it comes to the things of God. Ah, we will go far. We'll go far. We'll go far. Let me just tease you. Just give you one of them. You know. To come before God, this is not one of them. It's just an introduction. To come before God as a child, we need to strip ourselves of all our sins are doubt. And watch this. And be fully wide-eyed. To learn from God. Have you seen how children are willing to learn? And anything you tell them, they believe it. They see everything. They watch everything. See, when people become proud in church, when they've been there for long, passive. It's not like when they started. When they started, they were engaged in the sermon. They were listening. They were being blessed. No, verse wrong. Mole. That's not what the Greek is saying. Yeah, already, you see. So, so, so you move from where you believed everything you were told. Now, we're not talking about naivety here. We're talking about the eagerness to learn. Children are so eager to learn. So when you have a child like 
approach to being a child of God. You, you become someone who's eager to learn. And you see it in among Christian people as they grow. When people start at cunning, you know, when they're a young Christian, they, they are so different than when they're already a so-called matured Christian. Even worse if they're now serving in a department. You know, it, it's, it's a problem. I'm being honest, Pastor Adam, in my own lack of understanding, I never thought in Grace Bible Church people will fight for positions. Personally, I, I, I'm being honest with you. I said the way we teach, the way we tell people, I never thought people would, but I find people fighting for positions. A new person, I'm like, or This is what has inspired me, who know I must start teaching about certain things that I've taken for granted. I thought people learned from the example we are giving. I thought people see that even when we have young pastors, we treat them with honor and respect. We take notes when they preach. We say amen when they preach. We encourage them, even if we know more than them, even if we've been in ministry longer than them. We sit under their teaching. Hey. We allow you as church members to help us. The suggestions of things that are yet and that come from you. Even if I am the presiding bishop of many churches, not one. When I listen to say group A one on my own, I listen to your suggestion. Listen to your suggestion. Mara, Mara, you've reached a point now, Karu, you've been here for a few years now. Yeah. Now and I see it with I see it with that I watch. Pella when I'm preaching Kelishabid. Some of you, your attitude just shows from the way you are sitting there now. I've seen it, Bazalana, in our journey. Because remember, Bazalana, when we went to Bible school, in our class, there were 200 of us in our class at Rema. 200. Everybody said God has called them. Everybody. All right. Fast forward, 40 years later, there's only about 10 or 20 of us who are in ministry as I speak. Yeah. 180 have fizzled out. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that statistic holds in so many things. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about being sustained. It's humility that sustains. And you know what I've realized? I went and did a study with the things one has learned over the years and heard other people. I wanted to check, why is it that some are still there 40 years later, others are not there? Not in a judgmental way, we need to learn. And I noticed a trend. I noticed a trend. One of them being, some of these people, they started changing in their attitude towards the people who were their spiritual fathers, mothers, and mentors. I mean, many of those people were raised in Rhema, some of them rather, or in local churches. But the minute they graduated Rhema, they saw themselves better as their leaders. I tell you, some of them would even call Pastor Ray Kalibito Ray, you know? I know, yeah. I mean, they used to, Pastor Ray, they used to run leadership sessions through IFCC. I would always be in the leadership sessions sitting there. These guys, they are running churches. They wouldn't even go. And you know, this is what I've never understood in life. The people who are making it are the ones who are teachable. 
I'm telling you. When you have, when you have a marriage seminar, it is the couples who have good marriages who come. never understood it. it it doesn't make sense to me you know the, 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 the people who are making it are the ones who feel they need to know more people whose churches are growing they want to pray more they want to do more they want to they, they want to do more but the other guy feels no so we'd go to those seminars whatever teachings whatever hang around pastor Ray over there and as I've looked back I can kind of draw a line. I kind of tell them, this is where it changed for these guys. You know, it's almost like Bazarana, when there has been a plane crash, I know it's not a great example, and they go back to the black box, and they listen to the data, and they put on a table, they start putting on a graph what could have happened. Because a plane is not supposed to crash under normal circumstances. Even the weather doesn't make a plane crash. Only two things make a plane crash. Human error, malfunction of the plane. These are the only two things. But the way it's designed, it cannot crash. It shouldn't crash. That's why when there's a plane crash, it becomes head news, headline news. And they will go back and check. And I like they do it in the aviation industry. They go and check what could have happened, what went wrong. I mean, they are very clinical in their investigations. So then they put it down, they say, and I like when I watch it, they say, over here, this is what the pilot should have done. When they saw this signal here, they should have done this, they could have done this, but this is what they did. And this is the point, right at that point, they hadn't crashed yet, but right at that point, what they did there, put them on a collision course. Yeah, there are people who, there's a point in your life where you do things that put you on a collision course. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And pride is one of them. Pride is one of them. The minute you become big-headed and you become of a haughty spirit and you've been raised in a spiritual home that has raised you up, things have been good, now you've gone to a point, oh, you are not interested, you are so passive. Even when the spirit is moving, when out again, you are too matured to raise your hands or run around. It's at that point, and I saw it in many people in ministry. And we're going to learn more about how to be humble like children. And I hope you'll all be here to learn about how to be humble like children. Give the Lord a big hand of praise. Come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise. Thank you, Lord. Would you bow your heads, please, and, and close your eyes, and we'll make an altar call, and then we'll come and do the announcements afterwards. And what we should do, because I know we must welcome people by Nyalang, so we need to do it for them. Amen. Can I have your attention, please? Some of you, you I know service today was so much so. Yeah. And some of you must be sitting there saying, oh, it's a hanka <laughs> It's only old members who say that. The new ones don't say anything like that, because they... They, they are still open. You know when you are young and new at something, you just flow with what happens. The problem is that you are matured. So no, I must engage you on this issue. 
But listen, some of you could have been invited. You may have come on your own. This is not the usual pattern of our service. However, as you've been sitting here, you can hear God speak to you about your life. Your life is not submitted to Christ. Christ is not the savior of your life. If you were to die now, you wouldn't be sure about your eternal destiny. Maybe you see all the broken pieces in your life and you don't know how to put them back together again. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you to change you and transform you and make you a child of God. Can we bow our heads please all over the place and even those who are live streaming. If you are here and you say, I want to give my life to Christ, would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand please right where you are? Don't allow pride to keep you back. Thank you for those hands. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You know God is talking to you about your life. It might not be in obvious ways of a big booming voice, but inside your heart, there's a desire that I really want my life to be different. I'm really not living in a way that's pleasing to God, but I want to live in a way that pleases God. Thank you for those who've raised their hands. Would you please stand on your feet, those of you who raised your hands. I want to pray for you, please. Give them a hand as they stand, please. Thank you. That's good. Wow. That's good. All right. I want to pray for you here in front, all right? So if you could come from where you are, take your belongings. Don't leave your belongings behind. Your Bible, your bag, your purse, whatever you have with you. Just take it in your hands. Come stand in the front facing the stage. I want to pray for you. Give them a big hand. Well done, young man. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Wow. Amazing. 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 Give them a hand, please. Encourage them. 